So, Pastor, you're telling me that God can forgive me of all the people that I've killed. And, uh, and he said he can. But he prayed for him, and, and then a few, a few months later, he was killed. So it's like that, that kind of thing that's going on, you know. So it's, you know, but, you know, when people when people tell me those kind of things, you know, like I've been, I've been in places, you know, I've been to Pakistan and I've been into, into Vietnam and those kinds of things. You know, you, you know, there's a reason to fear. I'm not saying we shouldn't, that we need to be cautious, but I have never felt fear in, in Zamora, Mexico or Michoacan. And Michoacan is on the same level by our state part, state travel, uh, state department as North Korea for America. And, uh, so there's five states in Mexico that are on the same tier as North Korea and Iran. And yet, you know, but, but there's not that op- oppression of fear when you're mm-hmm. there, you know, even though there's a possible, there's a potential, I guess, but th- that's a part of that spiritual dynamic that, that works. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, sure. yeah, I, I can, and then there were some people that got delivered of demons and one of the, one of the meetings I was in, they came out shrieking and, you know, fell on the floor and, and those kinds of things that happened just on Sunday night. And so, um, you know, and I don't have to share that kind of stuff, but at the same time, you know, it does happen. Oh. Yeah. I think you should share, share that kind of stuff. And um, you probably didn't notice, but I went ahead and hit record because <laughs> what you were about, what you were starting to talk about, I just like had this sense that, okay, we need to grab this moment. So um, listener, welcome to whoever whole things. Uh, I, I don't, I don't want to start with the title. I want to start with what we just heard. Oh my goodness. This is why we're here is to talk about a dynamic that exists in worship and in the kingdom that we don't talk about very often and that we don't talk about in relationship to worship planning or worshiping or worship leading. But today we're going to, so Bethany, would you take it away and, um, and introduce our special guest today? Yes, so I'm Bethany Pedigo, and you guys know Rod Ellis by now, and we are here, have, we have the immense pleasure and honor to be with my home church pastor, Jeff Oaks. I still call him my pastor to this day, even though I haven't lived there since 2006. He will always be my pastor. He's like a spiritual father to me. He married my husband and I, and truly, uh, when I met Jeff, I was 19 years old, and I was learning many things about worship leading, music, singing, leadership, relationships, and life. And he contributed greatly to almost all of those things. Um, He definitely mentored me and discipled me and trained me in all of those areas. And so I I owe him uh, a ton. And so we are so, so, so grateful that you made time to join us today. You actually just got back yesterday from Mexico where you're helping people start a brand new church. So we, we appreciate your presence with us today more than I can say. Thank well, you. Gosh, that's, that's way too kind. And I, I do appreciate you, Bethany, and have been so thankful for your, uh, not only your friendship and uh, relationship over the years, but uh, your the anointing that rests on your own life and the gift of God that's in you. It's been a blessing and, and your songwriting ability has always blessed, blessed me. And I, and I still sing songs that you've written from 20 years ago. So, uh, <laughs> oh, that's the best, that's the best <laughs> gift ever. <laughs> because they made such an impact. So that's, that's pretty awesome. So. 
and Rod, it's very nice to meet you, and I'm and I'm very happy and honored to be here with you guys today. So it's a privilege to have you, Bethany. Take it away. So I like to quote Mark Medley and um, oh, what's his name from IHOP, who said, uh, "Worship is a right response to a revelation of God." Jay Thomas. So that that's Jay. my Jay Thomas. Yeah. So. And Mark Medley said worship is a response to a revelation Mark of God. Too, by the way, I don't, want to, I don't want to slight Mark on that, that statement. Right. <laughs> yes, it's, <laughs> it's both of theirs ideas. Uh, so if worship is a response to a revelation of God, then, and so if that is true, and Ephesians 6.12 is also true, that we have a struggle that is happening, and it's not against people, uh, everybody listening, your struggle is not against people. <laughs> Sometimes we need to be reminded of that. Um, it's not against people, but it is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Yeah. So if that is also true, we would like to explore today the interplay between those two ideas. What happens when we worship? Does it affect this dynamic of this very real realm that is invisible usually to our eyes, but it, it does affect us and it can affect us in many ways, emotionally, physically, and sometimes in ways we can't really describe. So. Yeah. I, I was thinking about what you said uh, about the fact that, you know, Ephesians 6 tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, <clears throat> but against powers and principalities and, and uh, forces of wickedness in high places. And, and uh, you know, I, I say to some people, you know, spiritual warfare sometimes is right there in your home and the devil's wearing your, sp your spouse's face. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we don't really wrestle with, with, our, with, with, with our spouses and flesh and blood, but there are things that we, be, we can allow the enemy to, to speak words. Really, I, I think the whole, the whole dynamic of spiritual warfare and spiritual realm in and of itself has to do with the power of the tongue. Hmm. So it says life and death are in the power of the tongue. Yeah. And, and in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was up and he said, let there be light. Now, some people have suggested that it's possible that he sang that. Hmm. that there is this singing out of the word of God. And I kind of like that because I know God loves music. Mm -hmm. uh, I know he loves music because he created man in his own image and man by nature is musical. And yes. so he loves to vocalize to sounds. We have entire languages on the earth that are tonal, that they, hmm. they are sing songy when they, when they, uh, when they express themselves. And there's something about, speaking the word of God. And so I believe that words are powerful. And I think what we see uh, is that God has established his word, but then there is a contrary, uh, a, a opposed word, if you will. And the enemy looks for ability and entrance to speak words of death into mm. culture, well, into lives first, but then into cultures and then gosh, into governments and across the earth. And so I think we, we've seen that dynamic go on and those words become powerful. I mean, you know, the reality mm -hmm. is, is that uh, when people begin to believe certain words, whether they're truth 
or lies, it creates change in uh, in in their in their existence, good or bad. And so that's why I think a lot of times our, the spiritual warfare that we're facing, or you know, people they don't really. I mean, they 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 speak out of their own place of hurt. They speak out of their own place of pain. They speak out of their own their own past baggage. But the reality is, the word that comes forth can be very detrimental and deadly. And that's why we have to be willing to reject those words. Mm-hmm. Uh, for many years, I, you know, I, and Bethany, you've traveled uh, with, with me some as well, but we've, we've gone all over, you know, there's been lots of countries that we've gone to. And I've seen this over and over again. It didn't matter what culture you're in, but mm-hmm. when you're really praying and ministering to people that are hurting, one of the, the, ver- the keys to breaking uh, whatever the bondage is that they're, that they're uh, being oppressed by is really beginning to help them reject words mm. and lies that were spoken over them that they believed mm-hmm. and that they need to reject them and renounce them and believe the truth. Mm-hmm. And that is God's word. And we know truth as a person too, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth yeah. and the life. Yeah. So really believing Jesus and what he declares over their lives. That's so important in, in seeing people walk in freedom and liberty. Jesus said this in John chapter eight, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And so we're in, we do not know the truth. We may not be, or we're in, we are not free. We may not know the truth. So, yeah. Well, word you know jesus is called the word in john chapter one he is the word of god but also uh, words create actions so we speak out of our hearts and then whatever we've determined in our hearts then determines our actions which often then if they are sinful do lead to bondage and death think about eve in the garden the serpent was lying to her about the nature of god and said He doesn't want you to have that knowledge over there, that special knowledge, because it will make you like God. And she believed him. She believed those lies, and then she ate the fruit. And then death entered in, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. My pastor says, I love, he has several Timisms um, I refer to him as. And one of them is a lie that operates in your, in, in your life as, true is true in your life it doesn't have to be true anything that you believe in your life as true will operate in your truth as if it is true even if it's a lie uh there's there's this great fantastic book first time i went to my therapist here in bowling green he recommended it called telling yourself the truth find your way out of depression anxiety fear anger etc it's by william bacchus Uh, i would highly recommend that book um it, it it is so much about what you have just described jeff this reality of words carrying truth. And when we believe things that aren't true, then we are believing wrongly. And, and listeners, stay with us. This is going to have incredible impact for the worship gathering. This is not just a conversation about high-level theology. The implications mm-hmm. of this conversation are real and present. And, and when we speak words of death in our ministry, then we invite the enemy in. And when we speak words of life, then we invite our loving father into those relationships. And all of us have done both. I, I, I hate to be so condemning and, and I don't know everybody listening, but I promise you, you have spoken words of death. It is a part of our fallen nature to do that. I just want to always speak more and more words of life and fewer and fewer words of death. 
And I find that when I do that in the worship gathering, the worship gathering itself takes on more and more life and has less and less death. Um, Jeff, does that line up with what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. And I was thinking about that with the original question that Bethany posed, which is if worship is a response. I, I, I thought maybe this passage would be uh, appropriate. It would be Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. If it's all right, I'll just read them. It says, yeah. therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so then it's like, okay, wait a minute. Paul's talking about there being a seen realm, but he's also talking about there being an unseen realm and that the unseen realm is actually eternal. Whereas that which we do see is ever changing. It's temporary. It's, you know, it's expiring even. And, um, and I think that that's the basis when we talk about a spiritual dynamic or even a spiritual realm uh, that Paul mentions in Ephesians 6, we see examples of it in the, the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Ezekiel, we see it in Zechariah, and then we see it also, I mean, probably the most clearly we see it in Revelation, where we, all of a sudden, John's eyes are opened up, he's called up, if you will, into heaven, the scripture says, a door was opened, and there he was caught up, and he was standing in a scene, if you will, in the throne room, of God. And, and there he witnessed things that Isaiah had testified about. He witnessed mm -hmm. things that uh, Ezekiel had testified about. He witnessed things that Zechariah had testified about. And mm -hmm. so it's almost like you're seeing this New Testament revelation of this unveiling, because that's really what the word means. It means the unveiling. So you're seeing this unveiling of what is going on in heaven and most importantly, you're seeing the unveiling of who Jesus is for real. You know, not, I mean, here, here you had the guy that was the closest to him, arguably on the earth. I mean, at the last supper, he's laying his head on his chest. Right. And then we also know at the cross, he says to his own mother and to John himself, Hey, listen, now this is your, this is your mother. You take care of her. And, uh, and so, I mean, that's a pretty intimate kind of relationship that Jesus, he had with John. And yet when John sees Christ in that experience on Patmos, he doesn't even recognize him. I mean, he doesn't even recognize him and he falls down as dead. I mean, literally he's like overcome with this revelation, this unveiling of the glory of the son of man. I mean, there's just this massive uh, shift paradigm shift on who Jesus really is. And so I think in seeing him for who he is and how can we, you know, we go, okay, well, we're not John the revelator. We're not Isaiah, the prophet. We're not Zechariah. How in the world are we? Well, we have access to that same revelation because they recorded it in this book we call the Bible and we can read it and we can meditate on it and we can pray it back to God. And in doing so, he opens our own understanding and the implications of all the things that are that are found in those pages 
causes us to want to worship, like you said before, it's a revelation and then a response. All of a sudden we're seeing him in a way we haven't. Maybe we're not seeing him physically, but we're seeing, of course, we're not seeing him physically, but we're seeing through the eyes of faith, uh, using the, 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 the vantage point or the binoculars of the scripture to actually describe to us what it is we're seeing. And then all, I mean, what anybody could do that really understands it is to, to worship, to go, I bow down. I, I, I mm -hmm. honor you. I glorify, I say you are worthy, you know, and, and uh, mm -hmm. that's, I think that is the, the premise behind what Mark Medley was saying, and what Jay Thomas was saying is the fact that there is a spiritual realm. And when we have an understanding of who God is, because we do believe that God exists, right? Without faith, mm -hmm. it's impossible to please him for you must first of all, believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's, a, that's Hebrews 11 uh, verses four and, and six, I think. But anyway, it, it's that kind of reality that, uh, that elicits a response. So here's a question. I have heard people say this in the past, that you use worship to like get victory, right? Because we're talking about troubles, struggles, um, authorities, spiritual forces of evil. You know, I've heard some people say, well, you just need to, you just need to sing until you feel better. You need to worship until you feel better. You need to pray until you feel better. Almost like worship itself is transactional. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think about that concept? Well, I think that's a, that's a, that's a, it's a great question as well as a great observation. I think of where, where we have an immature understanding really of worship but there's no doubt singing and music is right it, it, it's it, it is going to have uh, an emotional impact and it's okay i mean we're emotional beings i i think i was raised in a church where you know basically you were taught not to have emotions and i mean like you just suppress the emotions anything that's emotional has nothing to do with faith and i and when I began to read the Gospels for myself and I began to see how how Jesus was really impressed with responses and, and a response in and of itself has to have some emotion. When I began to read the Psalms mm -hmm. and understand that David was one of the most emotional people that probably ever lived and walked on the earth, then it was like <laughs> emotions can't be emotions can't be bad because God was really happy with David, as a matter of fact, he called him a man after his own heart. So there was something about mm -hmm. David's response to revelation of God that caused his emotions to, to enact in, in or, uh, you know, to help him express himself. And I, and I think that's important, but it's not the end goal. It's, it's not enough to have, you know, some hairs up on the, you know, right, chilled bumps and hairs on the back of your neck raised up. Or, you know, I, I was listening to a singer yesterday on the way back and, and the guy can sing. I mean, there's just nobody. I, I don't know if I should mention his name or not, but, but <laughs> I mean, he's an amazing singer. And, uh, and, and he was singing some Christmas stuff and he was singing Oh Holy Night. And I'm telling you what, I mean, he, there's nobody who can sing like him. And he's really laying out his talent when he does it. And it's, and I was impacted. I'm impacted by the, the words. I mean, I, I really do like Oh Holy Night, but yeah. I was really impressed, but I was impacted by his delivery of it. You know, and I'm like, man, and, and, and I don't know that that was so much worship as much as it was me being excitable because, man, I'm hearing real talent on display. 
So I think there's, there's, there's a, it's, it's, it's a balance. There does need to be some type of emotional uh, engagement when it comes to worship, but that's not the end goal. It's not, it's not to lift our spirits higher per se, or to make us feel better about ourselves. It's really so that we would actually see and hear and experience a revelation of God's nature and character, because in doing that, we can really be changed. Uh, we can be transformed. Uh, it's, 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 it's more than just a, uh, a, a, a gathering. And I have been involved in churches where we went from one, one special event to the next special event, trying to get the, the next big spiritual high to the next big spiritual high, instead of us really actually beholding him and, and, and being transformed by seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So I think worship should be about, it should be Jesus or Christ centric. However, however you want to say that focus on Jesus, Jesus centric. And the premise being, because when I see him, I can really be changed, transformed, whether I'm singing a loud song, slow song, whether I'm being silent, whether I, you know, I'm just listening to soft music in the background. I, if I, if I can get a hold of him, that I can be changed. Yeah. I like to think of like mood feeling better as like a, an effect of like a side effect. Like sometimes medicines have side effects. It's like a side effect of worship, but the purpose of worship is for God. It belongs to him. It's for him. It's not really for us, but we also get to. It is. You're exactly right. It's a, it's a side effect. What is it that the, the, the scripture says that he enthrones himself on the praises of his people. Now, we know that God doesn't need our praise and worship, but he, he, he desires it. He desires it because he wants us to receive the best. And so if, if we begin to give our, our time, attention, our obedience to him, which is really what worship is, it's submission in action. If we're giving him submission in action, then we can receive what's the best in all the universe and it's himself. Mm -hmm. And so he, he enthrones himself on the praises of his people, but he does it so that not because he needs it, he does it because he wants us to experience the best. Mm. So for beautiful. the young worship leader, 25 years old, plays guitar, stands in front of his church, not exactly sure what to do next. How, how does that young man, um, how does he help his congregation establish the context from, from the very beginning of the gathering that we are here to, to encounter, to see, to, to let Jesus be at the center? You know, what, what's the starting point for that? Well, Bethany could probably answer this question really, really well, but I, I would say that it has to start with the worship leader himself. Okay. That, he, he has to have that, as my friend Mark Medley says, uh, the secret to a secret life is a secret life. And so if we really want to know how to get a, you know, how, wow, how can I have that secret life with God? You actually have to have a secret life with God. And so you have to really spend time yourself in uh, ministering to the Lord and, and as a musician or as a singer, I mean, I think, I think there needs to be a real 
you know, time given, and I'm not going to put a time frame on it, but I think there needs to be time where they spend just worshiping Jesus themselves and beholding his glory and, and gosh, singing the word. I mean, mm-hmm. well, it, this is meant to be sung. I mean, and it's not just the Psalms. I mean, you could sing all of it, but it, it's just, <laughs> you take the, you take the words of God and you just sing them back to him. And in doing it, I cannot explain to you the process. Uh, I can kind of conjecture the process, but uh, when I pray God's word back to him, it changes me. It, I know it doesn't help him. Any. I mean, he's like, Hey, that's good. I'm, yeah, I forgot that. Um, I'm really appreciative that you're right. I forgot. He's not, he's not forgetting anything in his word, but when I sing it to him, all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, wait a minute. That's who you are. That's what you say. And it changes me. And then when I get stand in front of the people, then guess what? I have something to offer. I remember one time I was going to go to Kenya. It was going to be my first trip out of the country. I was uh, of the ripe old age of 20. Uh, It's funny, Bethany might not even know this, but I never even rode in a plane until I was 25. Wow. And so, so I he was goes like, all over the world now. <laughs> I said, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. And, and I was, and I was planning on going and, uh, and I got really, really sick and I ended up in the hospital and wasn't able to go. And it was yeah. such a good thing because had I gone, it would have been a mess. I mean, it really would have been, I mean, the guy I was going to go with, I, in retrospect, I was like, man, I'm really sad. But then, I, then 25 years later, 25 years later, I was, I was, in the shower preparing to go to Kenya for the first time. And I was praying and, and I don't know about you, but I like, you know, I'll pray in the shower and I, I, I don't know why the Holy spirit likes to speak to us in there, I guess, because we're all alone and it's just water hitting us. His voice is like the sound of many waters. Right. And so anyway, yeah, I said, Lord, I, you know, I remember I was going to, I was going to do this so many years ago. And he said, he said, yeah, you were, he said, I said, well, why didn't you let me go then? He goes, you had nothing to say, 25. <gasps> wow. And Ooh. he goes, now I'm letting you go because you have a little bit to say. <laughs> <laughs> See, that sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. That's how the Lord speaks to me. He's always like, Donna, don't get too cocky there. Yeah. And so that was, and, you know, it was like, okay, you're right, Lord. I had nothing to say 25 years ago mm. because I didn't have that. I didn't have any kind of depth. You know, now I'm not saying it takes 25 years to say something. What I am saying, though, is that it is important that we we let the processing of God uh, work in us so that we actually have a secret life. And out of that secret life, we can stand before people and we can actually declare the words of God in a way that has some unction on it, because it's not just words on paper. It's words that we've experienced. Hmm. I mentioned a 25 year old, they may never have heard the word unction. So, <laughs> so, so what is unction? That's a beautiful word. Well, I, unction is a great word because it's really in Spanish, it's uncion, which is the same thing they would say as anointing. And so there's this, uh, there's this anointing and, and what, what is anointing? Well, anointing, you know, you, you rub it on, you smear it on, you, you know, it was the oil that, that came. And we know that the Holy Spirit is likened to oil when they would anoint kings or priests or even the worship leaders or their instruments. They would anoint them with oil, which signified a couple of things. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it signified, of course, the fact that it was holy and set apart into the Lord. 
my phone, my, my watch spoke to me. I don't know what it's telling me. You went to go to the Holy Spirit. How about that? We've got, we've got Siri here. That's, uh, anyway, uh, basically it's, it's holy and set apart to the Lord. But secondly, it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, that there's authority on it. And, and that's, that's the key. I think in when I'm talking about unction is that there is, yeah, of course there's the holy aspect of it the holiness, the set apartness of it. But I think the other part that's important is that there's authority and uh, power on what you say and how you, how you live. And, and, you know, it's kind of like anybody with a, you, you, we talk about, you can have an expert or you can have someone who has a, uh, you know, a degree. Like I might have a degree in welding. <laughs> okay. Like I, I got my little <laughs> certificate, but right. I got to go apprentice for a while, you know, because I'm not a master welder yet because there's some skill involved in that. And, and it's, the, it's the same even in, in leading worship or preaching the word. There's not only the issue of, of calling and, and, and knowledge and education, but there's also that skill that's involved that has come from a life of experience or, you know, not a life, but just experiences themselves. So. I don't want to be too, I'm not saying to a 25 year old, they don't have any, cause I was 25 once and was ready to do something and, and yeah. was already. So it, I think we learn as we're doing and as we spend time with Jesus, sure. we, we actually, we develop that and we develop a history in God. Yeah. There were a lot of young leaders in the Bible that had a whole yeah, lot course. of anointing and, and, and it was before they were 25. So uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, that was, uh, just because I'm an old guy doesn't mean I'm saying you have to be an old guy to do something. As a matter of fact, you, you better start now. That's how you, that's how you get, that's how you run a, a lifetime race, a marathon. Yeah. Well, can, can you speak to being able to discern? I think that's a good word about whether or not a particular trial or trouble is spiritual in nature. Because I feel like people are at either end of this spectrum, right? We're also polarized these days anyway. You know, it's either, oh, the devil is everything. Like every single thing that happens to you, that's the devil. You know, you catch a cold, that's the devil. You know, somebody looks at you wrong, that's the devil. The devil made him do that. And then there's, I think, people at the other end of the spectrum that are just like, oh, no, it's just bad luck. Um, you know, these things always just happen to me. So how do you think you can tell if a certain trouble or trial in your own life or maybe in somebody who comes to you, somebody on your worship team is having a particular difficulty, how do you think you can discern whether or not that particular trouble or trial or pressure or in some cases sickness is spiritual in nature? And if you discern that it is, what should you then do? Well, that's a that's a that's a, a loaded question and it has lots of uh, lots of variants and uh, variables involved. But I, I think uh, number one, I think first of all, it would be we need to be very careful that we don't uh, discount real spiritual warfare. That there are resistances that take place um, whenever you have an advancing kingdom, um, and that is an advancing rule you are going to incite resistance. Uh, if, if, if 
I, I, I talk to people this way. The devil, the devil has been cast down. Okay. We believe that we know that Jesus is victorious, but like, like uh, a squatter will take up uh, residence on, on a vacated land or land that's been allowed to, uh, to, to not be used. Uh, the enemy will do the same thing. He, he will, he's like a squatter wherever you let him, squat and build a build a house or a tower or a stronghold he'll do that and uh and and what happens a lot of times is that people do open doors uh, they're they're basically let's let's just be real simple about this there's what i can read in the scripture there's basically three things that are in the world okay it's the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh and the pride of life and the scripture says in Hebrews that Jesus was tempted in all points, just as we without sin. So he was sinless. And, and, and we think, well, was Jesus tempted with, you know, uh, everything that we're tempted with? And I would say, well, there were certain things that maybe weren't even around, you know, like te technologically <laughs> wasn't around in Jesus's day. And so he, he didn't know what it was like to have to have to deal with social media and the temptation. So the reality is, is that the, all the stuff that we deal with in our modern day uh, systems and so forth can still fall within those three categories, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And we know Jesus was tempted with all three of those things. As a matter of fact, the Adam and Eve were tempted with those three things when they fell. And so uh, we know that very simply, all temptation is in those three realms. And now they, they've got multiple expressions but it's still really under that same thing and the enemy uses that and so we have to recognize that you know the enemy is he's warring against us and he'll throw temptations that's just because you're tempted doesn't mean you sin but at the same time what we have to recognize is is that that's that in and of itself is spiritual warfare even mm -hmm. though even though our flesh is really being enticed by this we have to recognize that that's that's still a very uh a, a very uh concerted attack against us to cause us to sin against God and, and transgress our own conscience. And so mm -hmm. I think that's, that's a, a part of spiritual warfare. But number two, I think there are things that can happen when you do certain, when you open yourself up to spiritual stuff, you know, that, that's a pretty, you know, pretty evident thing. People that get involved in the occult people that, you know, when, when you're, when you're uh, really involved in a, in a drug lifestyle, I mean, we know that sorcery, the Greek word for sorcery is, is the same uh, root word for pharmacy. Uh, it, you know, you drug, these drugs, witch doctors and other places, they use plants mm -hmm. and, and herbal things to open you up to spiritual, to spiritual experiences. Now, some people would say, well, that's not really spiritual. They're just tripping on the drugs. And I, and I, and I would agree there is a chemical reaction that takes place in the physical body but yet there's something that that opens in our soulish realm, our mind, will, and emotions that allows the enemy to gain entrance and to torment us, you know? And so I think that, that, that happens. So we see the drug epidemic today. So when we look at the drug epidemic and, you know, and, and you guys are in Kentucky, I'm here in Tennessee. And, and uh, I mean, we're, we're like number one in the world for opioid abuse in uh in upper east tennessee i mean so so let's say it this way sorcery is running rampant mm -hmm. in our in our city in our in our region 
And so what we've recognized is that when people are opened up to that kind of stuff, there's a real spiritual dynamic um, mm -hmm. that, that can affect the atmosphere of a region. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and, and, and we could talk a little bit more about that, but I, let me finish the question. And I think the, the question has to do with, you know, how, how do we discern that from it being a just solely physical and not spiritual? And, and I, and I would say, okay, are we that separated? Okay. Is it that clearly defined when you have this physical and then the soulish and spiritual realm? We know that Hebrews four tells us the word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. It's able, even able to divide between soul and spirit. That's a bad paraphrase, but basically to, to divide between a very fine line between soul and spirit. And so we recognize that there's a lot of integration with uh, the soul and the spirit and and that affects the body a lot of people are like mm -hmm. well i just have a you know i have a problem in my body well sometimes their problems in their bodies are attached to some soulish issues that need that need to be healed you know if you have anxiety in the heart you know it will it will cause depression palpitations or yeah and then that or will heart palpitations all, uh, heart palpitations and <laughs> and your physical body response and so mm -hmm. I do think that there's a lot of connection between the physical and the soulish and then vicariously spiritual that we have to be aware of, you know, but not everything is, is the devil. Some of it's just because we live in this fallen world and we're having to deal with the effects of that fallenness in, mm -hmm. in specific things like illness and so forth. Some of it's environmental. I mean, if, if I walk around, with, uh, you know, with uranium in my handbag every day, I, I probably am going to have some problems with cancer at some point in my life, you know, just because I can't, I can't carry that around and it not affect me, you know, uh, so bad decision, you know, so I think that, uh, 